0: So we come to this passage in Philippians that is kind of central to the whole thing. This, is, this passage, when Kai started this series and was kind of giving an intro, overview of Philippians, he, he highlighted this passage as being like, like the middle of it, like the, the supreme idea of Philippians. It's a, it's a passage that gets a lot of um, press. It's, it's a passage that people seem to know. In fact, we've challenged, Kai started that challenge, we've challenged you to memorize verses 5 through 11, which was most likely a hymn that Paul wrote for the early church, that they would probably sing or at least recite that. It's just so much great truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. It'd be a great passage to memorize in the summer of joy that we're celebrating as we walk through Philippians. But this passage is central because this idea that it teaches is such a big deal. The idea that we're supposed to be uni- united, unified That we're supposed to uh, approach each other a certain way. It's, It's a huge deal all throughout Scripture, not just in Philippians, not just in this one passage. It's something that you see over and over again, that how we treat each other really, really matters. The the way that we interact with each other inside the church, the body of Christ, how we treat each other, how we love each other, how we serve each other, it really matters. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Which wasn't a new commandment, but what he was doing is taking it to a higher level, which is what he typically did. And he said, as I have loved you, so love one another. The way Jesus loves us, his willingness to lay down his life, that's the standard by which we're supposed to love one another. That's what he was saying. And then he says this the rest of the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. That that's the way that we show the world how great our God is. We show the world a picture of how God loves us by how we love one another. The world will know that we're his disciples. That will will identify us as his followers when we are really united when we're loving one another. And so this passage is so important for us to get that. There's there's so many good things. Kyle was just talking about it. so many good things. Things that will make you want to cheer a little bit. Maybe maybe even scream. I heard that all the way from the back. Like that's that's good stuff. There's good stuff. It's a, it's a fun season right now in our church to be a part of this for a lot of different reasons. But here's the warning on the other side of that. One of the biggest threats to any church is disunity. One of the biggest threats to any body of believers is for the enemy to come in and sow discord and sow division and to break us apart. That's one of the biggest threats that we we will ever face. And so this idea of being unified, this idea of standing together. Last week we saw in the passage that Paul was telling us that we're citizens of a higher kingdom, that we have a higher allegiance because of our citizenship in heaven, And we should live our lives in response to that. Worthy of the gospel is how we should live. It should show that we're citizens of a higher uh, authority. And then he says that we're soldiers, and that idea of soldiers was this unifying concept that we are not alone in the battle. We stand side by side with each other, and we hold the ground that we've been given. And then, like a team, we're striving forward. We're advancing together with the gospel. And so there's this picture of a unified group of people on mission together, standing firm together, and it's a big, big deal in our scripture. And so what Paul does this week is he goes deeper in that idea. Here's what it looks like to be unified. Here's what it looks like to treat each other the way that we're supposed to treat each other. Here's what it looks like to love each other like Christ loves us. And that's what we get to see in this passage. And I love the way that Paul does this because he doesn't just jump in there and say, hey, y'all need to to work on things. Y'all need to be unified. He gives us a foundation for that before he ever goes there. He gives us a solid foundation for here's why. You should pursue unity with each other. And then he's going to give us the real how-to on the other side of that. But the foundation is seen right from the very beginning. The way he starts this. What does he say? Verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, or any affection and sympathy. And then verse 2 he's going to start telling us what we should do in response to that. But the foundation he's laying is, hey, because of what you have in Christ, you're going to approach each other this way. Because of what Jesus has given you, this is is what's going to inform and build a foundation for how you should love one another. And the way he words it here is: if there's any encouragement, it's almost it's almost a little bit sarcastic to me. It's like, hey, if you can find any, any encouragement at all from Jesus, a little bit, maybe? The fact that Jesus Came to this earth, took on flesh. God, God the Son, took on flesh, laid his life down on the cross for us. If that could, if somehow that story could encourage you, then maybe you got hope. If you find any comfort from the love of the Father, the fact that he loves us and never gives up on us, his love is unconditional, doesn't matter what we've done, how far we run away from him, he's always loving, he's always welcoming, his arms are always open, welcoming us back home, actually not waiting but pursuing us. His love is a pursuing love. If you have any comfort in your life from that kind of love from the Father, then maybe that will be a foundation for you. Any fellowship of the Spirit. The word in ESV is participation, but it's really koinonia. It's the fellowship of the Spirit. If the the fact that God has given you the Holy Spirit, he indwells you to help you live this whole thing out, to bring you closer to God, to make you right with God, all these things that the Holy Spirit does for us, if that fellowship is true for you, then maybe it'll inform how you live. And then he says, any affection, any compassion, if you've experienced those things, here's how you ought to live your life. And The word if kind of throws us off, but really the most literal translation of this is because. It's it's not a conditional statement. It's a because statement. Because there's encouragement from Christ. Because you have comfort from his love. Because of the fellowship you have in the spirit. Because of the the affection, sympathy, all the things he's given us. I mean, you just go on and list of so many different things. Because of all the things that we have in Christ, here's how we should live our lives. And so this truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, the encouragement, the comfort, the fellowship, all that comes with that, that is the foundation for how we're going to approach each other. And so it's important to see that. And then after he lays that foundation, he begins the instruction. And as he begins the instruction, he's very specific and he's very clear. Here's how you're going to approach each other. Here's how you're going to look at each other. Here's how you're going to move towards each other. Here's how you're going to show that love to one another. And so his instruction starts in verse 2. So complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And so what he says here is be united. Be united. One mind. Same mind. One mind. Same love. Being in full accord. Be united. Now before we talk about the the specifics of that, let me just say this unity is something we've already been given it's not something we have to manufacture this isn't a hey we need to try really hard to be unified we've already been united because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us one of the things that we say here all the time is that what what we have in common because of Jesus will always outweigh our differences There's differences in the room. There's different backgrounds. There's different beliefs. There's different, and when I say beliefs, I'm not talking about like the high level who Jesus is, but there's all kinds of different ideas about how the world works and how how, the views that we have. There's all kinds of differences among us. We have different personalities, different makeups. We even have different enneagrams, whatever that is. Like we have all that going on. But what unites us because of who Jesus is, what he's done for all of us, we were all in the same place and we needed a savior, what unites us is, is always greater than what separates us, the differences. And so we've already been given that in Christ. So the Bible doesn't tell us to manufacture unity or make up unity or be, like, figure out how to be unified. The Bible says that you're already unified, maintain it. And so when I say be united, be united. That's what I'm really talking about. Maintain the unity that you've been given. Work for that unity. Strive for that unity. Recognize that you've been united. What what unites us is greater than our differences, and so I'm going to maintain that unity. That's what he's calling us to do here. And so he does that with the specifics of being in the same mind, having the same love, being in in, in full accord, which that's where you get that that wonderful preacher joke about how the disciples loved to drive around in a Honda, obviously. They run a all in one accord. So I didn't make that joke up. I didn't do it. It's just, it's on the internet. So anyway, that's what he's talking about. The idea of being in full accord, that, that literally means moving in the same direction. That's what it means. It means that we have a mission, that we're moving together in the same direction with one mind, one purpose. That's that's the accord. We have one purpose together, to make much of Jesus, to glorify Jesus. And so we do that as a family. We do that as a team. We do that as a as an army. We're moving in the same direction, one mind. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to be, um, we all have to think exactly the same. It, uh, this unity is not uniformity. It, it It means that you can be different here. It means that you can have different views on different things that are not like, Test of faith or like, yeah, this is a heresy or thing. Like there's all kinds of different views and different beliefs and different personalities, all that stuff. And it's welcome here. That's why the body of Christ is so beautiful. We all have different gifts. We all have a different view. We have a different background. All that stuff informs that. So we don't have to have a uniform mind. We have to have a one mind, a united mind because of the purpose, the kingdom that we serve, the citizens that we are together, the mission that we have. That's what unites us. I mean, the last two and a half years, whew, that's some fun, right? (laughs) And we've learned a lot of things over the last two and a half years, and all of them so good. No, not not really, but we have learned a lot. It's left a mark on us. One of the things I hope we've all learned is that we're not always right. At some point along the way, we all kind of realize that. No one knows. No one knows. And we're just going to try to figure this out together. But the problem with this is sometimes we start thinking that we're right. And we start thinking that we have to be right. And that pushes us far away from unity. We don't have to think the same about everything. But we have to be united. God has united us, and so we have to maintain that. So we have to be together and be okay with that and move forward and make sure that we're focusing on the big things, the really important things, And we let the other things just kind of follow where they may. So that's what he's talking about. Be united. Be of one mind, single mind, full accord, moving, purpose, same direction, on a mission. And then Paul just keeps elevating the call. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. He says be humble embrace humility and and everything he's saying here the problem with all this instruction is it's not in our nature this is not how we're wired this is not how we think we don't normally think about others first we think about ourselves first that's just how we're wired we're normally selfish people our selfish ambition is what he says what can I get how can I succeed how can I move forward what's in it for me that's how we normally see things that's how we approach things the word conceit here Obviously, we have this really bad picture of conceit, but what he really means is just thinking about yourself all the time. Just thinking about yourself more than anybody else. He said, instead of doing that, I want you to push away from your nature, and in humility, I want you to consider others as more significant than yourselves. Count them more significant than yourself. That's a high calling. That, that's quite a challenge that he's giving us to do. But here's the deal. Humility is one of the defining characteristics of a Christ follower. You ever thought about that before? It should be one of the things that defines a Christ follower is humility. The whole cross, the whole gospel, it shows us that we weren't good enough, that we didn't do enough, we couldn't do enough, we couldn't earn our way back to God. We needed a Savior to rescue us from our hopelessness and our sin. So we needed him to do that. And so the cross brings humility right into our face, and the life that Christ has, call, Christ has called us to is a life of humility. It should be a defining characteristic, but it's tricky because humility is this weird thing where if you think that you have humility, you probably don't. If you're interviewing somebody for a job, and they, you say, hey, what, what are some of your strengths? And they go, well, I'm really humble. <laughs> you know that they're not. You say, I'm humble, and you think that thought, you just disqualified yourself. It's kind of a tricky thing. You think you have humility? No, you don't. It's not supposed to be something you think and talk about, something that you are. It's something that your approach to life. And here's what it is don't, don't, don't misunderstand it. It's not thinking less of yourself, like thinking bad about yourself. I'm just, I'm so worthless. Like that's not humility. That's fake. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, not, not making yourself such a big deal, which is what we all want to do. But here's what Paul's calling us to, count others more significant than yourself. The way Jesus said that was, love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was kind of assuming is that you and I are doing pretty good at loving ourselves. <laughs> That's not a problem. He says, so love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Think about your neighbor the way you think about yourself. Consider your neighbor as significant as you. More significant is what Paul says. That's what humility looks like. It's not not thinking I'm a bad person. It's just thinking of others before I think about myself. It's just, This is a high calling that he's calling us to, but that's what he's saying. And then he he continues to go up. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so this is where this thought process of I'm I'm trying to consider others and count others as more significant to myself. This is where it takes action because this is where we start to look for needs and meet them. So what he's saying here is be intentional. It's not just thinking these thoughts, but it's actually doing something about it. It's looking at others, seeing needs, and trying to meet those needs. Once again, it's not who we are. It's the nature. It's like not, not the way we're wired. It's not what we normally think. When, you can have so many examples of this. There's, there's an example every day somewhere. I mean, all you got to do is get in your car and drive around Rockwall. You'll see examples of the opposite of this, right? Or what it looks like to not consider others and look out for others. But that's what he's calling still. Like, if you, if you go up to a stop sign and you're driving and there's a left lane and a right lane, you can turn left out of the left lane and right out of the right lane. And you get up there and you're waiting because the traffic's coming. And you're waiting and trying to make sure it's clear. You're looking right. You're looking left. You're looking both ways just like your mama taught you and all those things. And then you're waiting and it's still not clear. And somebody pulls up right next to you and then they block your view. Does that ever happen? Yeah, stop doing that. Are you doing that? Stop it. That's not helpful. It's not considerate of others. It's frustrating. I, I, I'm telling you that because it's one example, but also because a good friend of mine in this church, he, he recently had that happen to him, and he decided to just roll his window down and give the guy a lecture in courteous driving. That's one option you can do. I don't want to say his name, but his initials are David Watkins. So, I, I, like, that's... That's not considered. There's examples around us all the time of what it looks like to not consider the needs of others, not look out for others. But let's not talk about all those crazy examples. Let's just talk about the church. And really, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the people of God. And what happens with the people of God is really just as important what happens all throughout the week and how the church and the people of God are interacting with our lives and a part of our lives all week. But obviously there's a big deal about Sunday because we gather together, we sing the truth, we hear the truth, we're doing this together, it reminds us that we're together, it reminds us that we're not alone, all those different kinds of things. So how we approach Sunday morning is a big part of this. How do you approach this when you walk in? It's so easy to think about me. It's so easy to only be thinking about me. Who's going to greet me? Who's going to welcome me? Who's going to let me sit by them? Who am I going to get to sit with? How do I do this? Like, it's so easy to think about us instead of, I wonder who needs to be greeted. I wonder who needs to be welcomed. I wonder who needs to be invited in to sit next to me because they may not have a spot. They may not have anyone to sit with. It's so easy to think about us first and not look out for the needs of others even when we're gathering for worship and now we have a whole new parking opportunity (laughs) yeah I said opportunity because that's what it is and all of a sudden it's like today I wanted to be a visitor I did I was like maybe they won't recognize me I'm parking right up here right like where we park and how we approach that how we approach this challenge that's in front of us like are we going to consider what we need or are we going to consider the needs of somebody else every single opportunity that we have in front of us is an opportunity to be me focused and self-centered which is our nature or to choose a different path a higher path which is really the low road that God has called us to of looking to the interests of others counting others as more significant than ourselves so be united maintain the unity be humble be intentional this is the instruction that Paul gives us that's pretty hard you you got that. Okay, we're going to let's just start being really humble and being intentional. Let's figure it out. We, like maybe we can just muster it up. It never works. The instructions in the Bible are never meant to be done on our own willpower. That's why one of the things I hear people say about Crosspoint all the time is every time you guys preach, all you do is come back to Jesus and just bring it back to the gospel every single time. Why don't you do that? I'm like, because that's really the only hope. When you say that about us, we take it as a compliment. Like everything is gospel-centered here because this word is gospel-centered. And when Paul gives instruction, he's not saying, do this on your own. He's not saying, try harder to be humble. That never works. We know in the Bible it says that we should be generous. So you read that in the Bible and you go, okay, well, I'll start being generous. Let me just get out my checkbook and I'll just give. <laughs> Does that work for you just to try hard to be generous? That doesn't work for me. That doesn't produce any kind of generosity in me. I'm like, nope, can't find my checkbook. Never can. But when we, when we look to the gospel, when we look to Jesus and we see the generosity that he was rich but he became poor for our sake here's what happens when we look to the gospel for our help it produces generosity in our hearts that shows up in how we live it's not trying harder it's submitting more following more surrendering more because of who he is and so paul says here's your instruction but let me give you your motivation and your inspiration for that and he points us to the gospel that's why verses 5 through 11 are so crucial because it's all All this instruction is going to come true for us when we go to Jesus, when we look to Jesus, when we submit to him and follow him. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even Death on a cross. This picture that Jesus gives us, this example that he puts in front of us, it's the motivation and the inspiration we need for that to show up in our lives and how we treat each other. It it only comes through that. It only comes through us going deeper in our understanding of who Jesus is and what what he's done for us. And so this motivation and inspiration comes from a few things you see in this passage. The first is the humility of Christ. I mean, you see that so, so clearly in this passage. Verse 5, this mindset that he had was a humble mindset. And so have it, we need to have it because Jesus had it. He was in the form of God. He was equal to God. He was God. And he didn't count that equality with God, a thing to be grasped or to held on to. But he emptied himself and took on flesh and became a man. It says later that he humbled himself even by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus walked in humility. The path that he, he walked was the low road. He came as a humble servant to show us the path. He didn't consider his deity something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He he, he didn't let go of his deity, but he took on flesh and all the limitations that come with that so that he could experience what we experience and identify with us and our suffering and our weaknesses, all those things he identified. He, He took that on for us because of his humility. He did that. And so the call to be humble is rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done. It's rooted in the gospel message, the, the picture of humility that we see. But the way that that plays out, the way that humility is really seen is in, in how he serves. It's really seen in the picture of the service of Christ. If you look back at verse 7, it says he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus came to serve. Jesus, Jesus didn't come as a king to sit on a throne, to rule and reign as an emperor. He could have, he's God, but he took the form of man and took the form of a servant and he came to serve. His whole ministry is serving. Everything he's doing is serving. Every time you see him turn around, he's serving somebody. He's meeting needs. Everybody had access to him. didn't matter who you were, how bad you were, how far away from God you were. If you came to him, he welcomed you in. He met needs all the time. His ministry was like one interruption after another of people coming to him with needs and him saying, okay, let's stop this and let's do this. He was meeting needs. He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's here to serve. He said it this way, Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes as a servant. And so if we want to approach each other and approach this body that God has put us in the way that Jesus has, then we need to see how he came to serve us, see how he was willing to lay his life down, see how he came to meet our ultimate needs, and then that produces us in, in us a desire to serve. I love that about Crosspoint. There's so many things I love about Crosspoint, but one of the things I love is how willing the people of Crosspoint are to serve, to jump in and serve. Last week we showed up, and we didn't know that there was going to be a parking lot problem. It was a wonderful little surprise when we rolled up here. We didn't know. But this week, we had a week to plan for it, and a whole team developed. They greeted you. We had signs and everything. People invest. A lot of them high school students, right, out there in that wonderful Texas weather. Welcoming people, directing them, all those different kinds of things. A team was born because of a need, because that's the way Crosspoint has always been. There's a need. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's step up. And we don't serve here out of my obligation. I know it's easy to do that sometimes, but remember, that's not why you serve. You don't serve because it's your duty. Serve because you have to. No, you serve because... Jesus came to serve us. We look to Jesus and we see his service and how he came took on in the form of a servant for us, and that produces us a desire to serve. So here's the deal. If you're not serving here but you're part of our family, let me just tell you, we want you to serve. You, you need to serve. That's why we want you to serve. Like we have all kinds of spots, all kinds of roles, and we want you to serve because the reality is you're not really on the team if you're not serving. God has called us in his Bible to serve, to use our gifts, to build up his church, to serve, to be on mission, to to move forward together. And that happens when you join a team and you serve. Whatever team it is, it doesn't matter. All the teams are crucial. All the teams are important. Every single person playing a role is playing a significant role in what God is doing here. And if you're not there yet, come on, let's go. Come talk to us. Come find one of us and let's get you on a team so you can serve. And don't do that because, well... They said in membership class you're supposed to serve. I mean, that's, that's, that's a low motive. Low motive is better than no motive. But do it because of what Jesus did. Do it because of how he came to serve. Do it because he is the ultimate service. Now, hold on. Time out. I'm a, this is a full time out, all right? Not a 20. So don't sign up just yet. You, you may be thinking, okay, let's go. Sounds good. I want you to hear the next point before you do it. I need you to count all the costs. Here's the next point. That we, our motivation and inspiration comes from the humility of Christ, the service of Christ, but also comes from the sacrifice of Christ. That he's calling us to sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. What does he say here in verse 8? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I'm not going to try to trick you. I'm not going to try to tell you anything. If you sign up to serve here, sometimes that will be really, really fun and joyful. And sometimes it'll feel like a sacrifice. There's a famous missionary that served overseas for a long time. He encountered all kinds of hardships, all kinds of diseases, like malaria, everything. At the end of his life, you know, he had even very little fruit from all of his work. And they're like, was this even worth it, the sacrifice you made? He's like, I never made a sacrifice. And that's pretty inspiring, but you're thinking, I bet he was never an adult chaperone at youth camp. I bet he wasn't that. I bet he wasn't sleeping in a bunk bed. Sometimes, sometimes service feels like sacrifice. On the Sundays that I, I'm not up here preaching, I like to walk through the children's ministry to try to encourage them over there. And sometimes, man, that's a happy place over there. And sometimes, wow. I'm just talking about the kids are always good, but the adults, sometimes their eyes are glazed over and they're looking at me, and they're not saying this, but they're looking at me like they're say, they want to say, I made a horrible error. <laughs> Somebody said this would be a happy place. How do I get out of here? I'll never get this out of my shirt. Sometimes it feels like a sacrifice. right? I mean, it's, it's hot out there. Our parking lot team might feel like a sacrifice. Jesus' path, this low road that he's calling us to, is a path of sacrifice. He laid his life down. So before you serve, before you join and serve, just recognize sometimes it's going to feel like a sacrifice. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes people aren't going to respond the way you want them to respond. It's true. Uh, It's happened a couple times in seven years. Warren Wearsby, in his book Be Joyful, said this, Many people are willing to serve others if it does not cost them anything. But if there's a price to pay, they suddenly lose interest. But Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we want you to serve. Now, I'm convinced you need to serve. But sometimes it'll, it'll be hard. Sometimes it'll feel like a sacrifice because we're following Jesus and his, he came to sacrifice. He came with one mission, to lay his life down, to die on that cross. And he's our motivation and he's our inspiration. We don't, we don't do this on our own. We do this by looking to him, seeing his humility, seeing his service, seeing his sacrifice. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for Jesus. not the end of the story for us. There's an exaltation coming. And, and you guys know it. You see it. Verse 9 Jesus' sacrificed. he laid his life down. He died the death we should have died on the cross. He took our punishment on the cross. He, took, he paid our penalty for our sin on the cross, and he was buried in a borrowed grave, but he didn't stay there. He came out. He, he, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And because of all that story, because of the whole story that we know, he's highly exalted. He's the name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he's highly exalted by God because he took that low road. God exalted him. And everything that we do, all the service, all the sacrifice, all the things that we give— it's because we are called to glorify him. We're called to exalt him. We're called to make much of Jesus, to point to him. Everything we give, everything we give away, every, every moment we volunteer, all of it. It's all for his glory. And he is exalted ultimately because of his ultimate sacrifice. But it's not just that. In the Bible, it teaches us there's more to it than just that. And the Bible teaches us this, that those who humble themselves, God will exalt those who humble themselves, who take the low road, following Jesus, God will exalt them. Now, that, guys, that's not just me trying to make it feel better at the end here. That's really just Scripture. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Don't miss the proper time, because I don't know when that is. And you don't either. Could be today, could be tomorrow, it could be an eternity, not in this life at all, but at the proper time when we humble ourselves, when we follow Jesus on the low road, when we consider others more significant, when we put others first, when we look to the needs of others before our own, that may not work out here, but God promises to exalt us when we take that path. That's, that's a promise from the scripture. Here's how Stephen Lawson said it in Philippians for you. The point is that no one ever truly humbles themselves before God without being exalted by God, whether in this life or in the life to come. True humility will never be forgotten by God. God will see it, God will note it, and God will reward it. It's the one, it, it is one thing to be exalted by man, but it's something else entirely and eternally to be exalted by God. God and so here's the deal at the end what you'll find out is that you and I never made a sacrifice because those who humble themselves God exalts it will all make sense for all of eternity. And we will know that we didn't really make a sacrifice. As much as it felt like a sacrifice at the time, it never will be. When, when Dove and Carter were standing up here and we're praying for them and they're going to go for four weeks to Germany and serve the summer, they're, they're missing a lot of things. They're giving up a lot of things. And you could look at them and go, well, look at the sacrifice that they're making. And here's what the Bible says. Is, Man, when you take the low road, it ends with a very high view. When you take the low road, it's the high calling. And it's not a sacrifice when you're on that path it never will be Yeah, it might be hard it may cost you some things I and mean, you may give up some things you may not experience some things to other people but you'll never make a sacrifice because god rewards it when we follow him so let's be that church let's be the church that truly maintains our unity by looking to others and considering each other more significant serving one another going out of our way to look to the interests of others, greeting people, welcoming them in, doing everything we can to be others-focused and not self-focused because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And let's see him work through that because here's what he does. When we do that because of Jesus, his power working through us, we look to Jesus. When that happens, we show the world that we're his followers. We show the world that our God is that great that we would love each other because he loved us first. We're showing the world how much God loves them by how we love each other. So let's be the church that does that because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word, the challenge that always presents us but the hope that it gives, that this is not up to us, it's not our willpower, our strength, but it's all Jesus, it's all the gospel, it's all what he did that shows us the way and enables us to do it. And God, we pray that for us, that you will protect the unity you've given us. You'll protect us from division. You'll help us to maintain and strive for that unity by loving each other the way that you loved us. And we pray that you would do that for your glory and because of Jesus. Amen.